Hello again, podcast listeners. This is another podcast for you where we're going to give you another recording. And this one is from the first One Solution conference that we had in South Africa, Cape Town. So as some of you know, One Solution really started uh, as a conference in Oslo. And as a result of that, we got asked to create another conference about how the mind is the solution to global problems all over the world. And there were two people in particular, Stacey Levine and Donna Aronson, who really, really wanted us to do something in South Africa. And we said, sure, let's do it. And the rest is history. We had an amazing time in South Africa where we met people from all over the world. We got to see a different culture. We got to uh, talk about some amazing subjects, some hard subjects from all kinds of areas and all kinds of cultures. So we're really excited to uh, give you this recording, which is just under an hour. And it's uh, myself and Mara's first um, introduction that we did at that conference. And we wanted to share this to you to basically give you even more meat on the bone about what One Solution is and how um, you can listen for something new. Uh, as with all conferences, we try to set up how the mind really is the solution to whatever problem people are up against. And this is our attempt to describe that. So. We really hope that you'll enjoy enjoy this discussion, and please feel free to again send us any questions or comments you have, and enjoy. Okay, so now it gives me such such grace, such such such. <laughs> no, it's really such great pleasure to introduce the two next speakers, Marek Leeson and Adek Grinder Olsen. Mara, I mean, Mara was one of my very first mentors. I learned with her at One Thought. And um, she's a superb, superb teacher. She is one of the people that you will hear from. I don't even need to give Mara an introduction because she speaks with a simplicity and a profundity that really makes this message so clear. She's a top international speaker. She's spoken all over the world. She's sought after. And ADEC is truly a match to be reckoned with. He, he is in my mind, that's exactly what I was going to say. Adek is a visionary. He honestly is. One, I think one solution is his vision. It really is. And the whole time throughout this conference, you know, with Don and I kind of going through our ups and our downs, it was, an, it was always like so simple to Adek. It was always, guys, have fun. You can do this. You know, and that's just testament to, I think, who he is as a person and, again, what you're going to hear from him. So, and they are the founders of One Solution Global. So it's with great pleasure that I introduce Mara and Adek. I think we just wanted to kind of like do a second welcome from, from us to you guys and talk about how this conference might be different to you guys. Like it might be a different experience. Uh, hopefully it would be, and that would actually be the point. So that you leave here and you have something different 
you walk basically out the door on, on Monday and you're different. That's our goal. So you've seen something that changed you. And it's not uh, a place for necessarily ideas. So we don't want you walking out with ideas or walking out with uh, something cool you learn. We want to have you walk out changed. So we're going to spend this first kind of talk to, to talk about how does that happen. If you're going to walk out changed, what do we need to do and what do you guys need to do? So it's like a partnership. So we'll be here together. Like If we're going to change together, that we walk out and the world looks different, what do all of us need to do? So it's very much a partnership, like a, uh, something that's up to us, but also up to you. So we want to talk a little bit about that. It doesn't work. Yeah, just. Hello? I, th yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think for me, part of what inspired um, the creation of One Solution is that I've always been interested in how do you help the world? How do you help people? How do you help uh, problems? And, and I'm the kind of person that I can watch the news, but I always had to kind of watch it at a safe distance and watch too, not watch too much in one sitting kind of thing <laughs> because I would get almost overwhelmed by what seemed to be the amount of problems and the complexity of problems in the world. But I was always interested in, well, what, what can I do about that besides just get numb or become apathetic? Or, and really that speaks to the point that Adik is bringing up here is that we feel that we Everyone, every speaker at this conference is part of a field that points to a very hopeful solution about how all individual human beings can become a part and a participant in solving the world's problems and really truly making the world a better place. Not just talking about it, not exchanging ideas about it, not hoping for it, but really truly understanding how the mind works within you such that you leave her feeling like, oh my gosh, I really am a part of the solution. I really do understand global issues in a way that I feel I am a participant in making them better. So that's why it really is this partnership, is we don't want to kind of talk about global issues in a theoretical level or, you know, kind of exchange a bunch of good ideas. There's nothing wrong with good ideas, but they tend to have a short shelf life. You know, you kind of go home and it's sort of back to things as usual pretty quickly. But what we found is that actually if people can kind of open their minds and actually have an insight, something brand new occur to them about how we are all operating, how you are operating, how every single person on the planet is operating, then truly something transformative takes place. That people leave different than how they came and they go into the world, and the ripple effects of that difference ripples out into the world. Yeah, and for some of you, that will be extremely easy. So some of you are like a sponge. You will say something, and you're like, oh, I got an insight, I got an insight, I got an insight. And other, other might be a little bit, I don't know, this doesn't make sense, or this is too weird, or I don't understand this. And it's all part of it. And the way I would say is like when I, this might be a, an example you can't relate to, but so I, I do a handstands. And when my teacher came to me, because uh, I thought I was doing, I was like, a, I was straight, I was doing a handstand, but he looked at me and I looked like a banana. You see, like, a, it wasn't a proper handstand. So when he moved me 
the way I was gonna like the the proper handstand, I said, well, I can't, I don't have balance here, I can't do it, I don't have balance here. But well, that this is the way, what you're looking for. So I always wanted to go back to the banana shape, because that's where I had my balance. That's what that's the that's the world I knew when I was on my hands. So we're gonna kind of go, no, no, uh, we're gonna talk. And you're gonna go. Oh no! I want my banana. <laughs> like I, I want my banana shape. That's what I want. But we're going. Well, this. But I don't have my balance here. I don't see this clearly. Well, that's the point. Because after a while, uh, suddenly this was my new normal. And when I go in a banana, it's like, oh, I'm glad I'm not doing that anyway. Does that make sense? So it's kind of like <laughs> you've been walking like this your life, and then somebody says, oh, it feels so weird, but. But it does feel very well when you can kind of like be aligned with with the world, how it really works. Does that make sense? So mm. that's what we want. We want to be aligned with something that's universal. And when we're not, life seems hard, or the world seems difficult, or you look like a banana. <laughs> <laughs> so I just wanted to say that because. You will have different experiences, all of you. But if it looks weird, or, or if it's not what you think, it's not what you believe. That's the point. Mm -hmm. So if it's not what you believe, that's the point. And then you could either like go out and like, oh, I still believe what I believe, or you can kind of like use this opportunity to listen for something new, just for two days. Like, forget about what you think, forget about what you believe, and like, what if there's something I don't know about this, and see what occurs. That makes sense. Cool. And if you think about all of the most um, wonderful things that have happened in your life, it's usually been accompanied by an unusual feeling. You know, kind of learning something brand new, being in a brand new place, falling in love with someone brand new. That there's that feeling of excitement, but also vulnerability and fear because you've never done it before. So if you're comfortable, you're probably not learning anything new. So there's a way in which we kind of want to invite people to, if you're truly going to have a brand new experience and learn something that can actually change you, there might be points during this conference where you feel a little bit uncomfortable or weird or um, almost like vulnerable or, or scared. And, and really, to me, that's just a good sign that something new is happening. It's new territory. So it's going to feel like something you've never felt before. So that's just an invitation because I know when I come to events, it's very easy for me to have on my good little, I'm, I'm a good conference attendee, I'm learning. You put on that cap and you kind of almost, in, in a way, innocently put yourself in a gear of thinking in the way you've always thought. So we kind of just wanted to kick things off by giving people an invitation to totally fall out of your normal and engage with this in a different way than you typically would. And if I can summarize that in a short Cliff's Notes version, I'd just say, listen without your normal thinking. Yeah. So we wanted to kick off the day. Um, we're kind of just laying the foundation for what is going to be built upon by all the incredible speakers that we have. So we've brought people from all around the world, from all different fields, which I'm sure you've seen the the agenda, the program, so you know we're going to be talking about issues like redefining mental health and uh, youth and education and criminal justice. And we're going to be looking at some real applications of how a different understanding of the mind brought to any field allows for advancement and progress that wasn't possible before that understanding of the mind was there. But 
Before we get into the specific applications, we just wanted to lay the foundation and basically tee you up for the direction of the conference. And really, there's two fundamental points. And actually, Stacy and Donna already spoke to them really beautiful and beautifully in your introduction. But, but we're going to be talking about it for the next two days. <laughs> it, it really is. Like, w those two points, like what Donna and Stacy said, that's the only piece we're going to be talking about. And we're going to just hammer that nail for two single days, because we're only going to be talking about how the mind creates everything. And it's very tempting and also very interesting. That's the problem. It's very interesting to talk about the everything part, what's already there, what the state of the world. But what all of the speakers here think is interesting is the mind part. It's not what has been created. It's the, what the mind creates. And that's the only thing we want to talk about. So, so really, there's two points that we want to lay today this morning. One is that really, truly, to Edik's point just now, is <clears throat> you can't solve something at the symptom level. You have to go to the source of it to actually solve it. And every human has experienced this on a micro scale and a macro scale. Just being alive, you come across this frustrating conundrum, which is trying to solve things after they've already been created, not addressing the source, is irritating, right? Because you don't actually make the headway in the progress that you're hoping to make. And you can see this all the time with the physical body in the immune system, that if you have a rash, or like I remember when my sister was born as a baby, she had rashes on her skin and the poor thing as a baby would she, it would itch and she would cry and it would get inflamed and as a baby you can't say hey what's that rash about <laughs> you kind of have to anyone who's had a had a baby before knows you, you have to try to figure out well wh what is causing this rash so that we can help alleviate the symptoms and for a while the best we could do was treat the symptoms so there were ointments that we could put on it cool cloths to try to soothe her but ultimately, it wasn't until they discovered that she was allergic to dairy, and so they cut that out of her diet, that the rash completely went away. But everyone has had experiences of having a symptom of something and doing your best to cope with the symptom. But until you find the source of it, you can't actually get rid of it. Does that make sense to people? And there's many other examples of this that are just really basic, but I'm going to share them with you so that you can kind of see how ordinary and everyday this is. But it's also very, and I, I'm going to use these examples because I think it's, to your point, is really tempting and seductive as humans to just go for the thing that's right in front of us. It's easiest. It's most visible. It's right there. So if you live in a home and there's things that are out of balance or cracks in the walls, it's very tempting to say, oh, I see a crack in the wall. I'm just going to plaster and paint over it so that I get rid of that ugly crack, right? I don't like the eyesore of it, so I'm just going to fix this thing I can see right here. But if there's something wrong with the foundation of a house, what's going to happen? You're going to get more cracks. So you can just keep plastering and painting. It's the same thing with a mold problem. Does someone need to get a that? A phone problem. <laughs> <laughs> What's the source of that? Yeah. 
But you can see how it's very tempting because it seems easier, it's more visible, it's more tangible. You can take action right away and feel like, good, I took care of that crack in the wall. It's often cheaper, you know. Oh, I, I don't want to think about what's really causing that. I just want to fix it right here because that'll only cost me this much and then I can get on with my day. But you'll notice that it's never ultimately fulfilling because it just ends up coming back to haunt you. It just keeps coming back, keeps coming back, keeps coming back. Well, we started observing that, um, as they mentioned, and we're going to get into this, is that as we started working and looking at the mind and really seeing that actually the mind is the fundamental source of everything that humanity faces, it, it starts to make a lot of sense why it seems like we are living in a moment in time, a moment in history where we are frustratingly trying to deal with problems and not getting as far as we'd like, as fast as we'd like. So I can't tell you how many um, very powerful, senior level, executive type, political type people working in the UN that I have sat down with who have said, come on, there's got to be a better way. That feeling of, why aren't we making progress given the money in the world, given the technology in the world, given what we understand about science and medicine and the brilliant minds and the enormous hearts that are focusing on these problems? Why aren't we doing better than we're doing? Well, it's because we're trying to ameliorate symptoms. We're trying to soothe symptoms. And it's innocent and it's understandable because they're right in front of our face and it's so tempting to go, oh my gosh, what can I do to fix that problem that's right in front of my face? But it's not gotten to the symptom of the state of, I mean, sorry, the source of the state of the world. In my humble opinion, and by the end of this conference, you will be able to decide for yourselves whether you ad agree or disagree. The piece that has been missing is we haven't gone directly to the source of the state of the world. We haven't looked at how really, truly, it's the minds of every single individual that is creating these symptoms that we see in the world. But the good news about that is it's actually radically simple. Once you see the source of something, it becomes incredibly simple to deal with it effectively. And that's what we're going to be illuminating over the next two days. Mm. And, and just to give you an example of like, even if it seems like you solve a symptom and it disappears, it's bound to pop up somewhere else. So if someone's, for example, addicted and they get rid of the addiction to A, if the source, their mind, hasn't like changed, they will become addicted to B. And if that changed, they'll be addicted to C. And you could see that even if, like, oh, we handled A, B will C. And we always be something new, and then you go, oh, this is a new problem, this is a separate one, so then we got to uh, help that one. And, and how I saw that was with the body, like, if someone had pain, they would, we would solve wherever, the, if I had a pain there, that would be solved, and suddenly the next time I saw them, they would have pain here. And then it would pain, so I would see that, oh, if I don't look at the source, then I'll be just following the breadcrumbs of pain, or going in circles almost, it's like a bre breadcrumb circle. <laughs> but we don't see who, who's putting up the breadcrumbs in a way. And that's what we're, who's putting up those breadcrumbs? And that's what we're doing to mind. But if we pay attention to what we put out, we will never, you know, catch 
the true source of it, and we'll be kind of looking around at the wrong thing. So it's really a simple thing, but we're going to spend two days talking about it. So yeah. No, and truly, the reason we're going to spend the time that we're going to spend, and really, it's it's it gets very exciting as we start to bring some of these different practitioners from different fields who can really truly demonstrate. They can show you the proof in the pudding. But it is because it's so tempting and natural and seductive to keep focusing on symptoms and think we're getting somewhere. So it's a very simple point, but we really focus on it because it's a very easy one to miss. It's very human to miss it. But <clears throat> we really want to be clear that we feel that any social or global issue on a personal, organizational, or global level can be addressed if you go to the source of it in the mind. Should we give him some examples? Sure. I was going to go to that point, but if you All right, no, go to that then. Okay. So the second point is really, okay, fine. Like, if you're with us so far, okay, I get it that the mind is the source. Well, what is it about the mind? How is the mind the source? And what is it that humans can understand about the mind? that would change things, right? So we have to understand the source of it in order to unlock its ability to create change. And really, truly, and, and Aaron, who's going to be speaking next, will go into a lot greater depth around this, but the, the simplest way I can say it is that innocently, humanity has made an error. We have a collective misunderstanding about the mind as such today, as we sit here today. And that is that we're at the effect of the things going on in the world. That my mind is somehow a camera taking a picture of the world I live in. That I'm on a personal level in my relationships and my business and also in terms of watching the news and seeing the state of the larger world. That I am somehow reacting to the world out there. And in truth, it works the opposite way. That the mind is the cause of the world, not the effect of the world. So it's every human is creating their experience of reality moment to moment from the inside out via the use of thought. So I don't see you, Brooke. I see my thinking of Brooke. And so my mind is not really a camera. It's more of a projector. I'm projecting a movie onto the screen of life. And whatever I see from my mind is then what I go and create and act upon. So I have thoughts. And those create feelings in me, and then, and then I behave from that starting point. So my behavior is a symptom of my mind in the moment. And then from those behaviors, I become a participant in life. So I behave in my relationships, and I behave in my family, and I behave in my business, and I behave in the world. And so I begin to create things. I, Mara, am a creator in the world. But that's coming from my mind. It's not the world made me like Mara. Oh, well, I live in America, and therefore I'm, I'm very lucky to have X, Y, and Z. I can therefore feel free to do blah, blah, blah. 
you'll hear when Gina speaks with her students from, oh my gosh, Upstart, I almost forgot it. Um, two of her students from this amazing program that she does called, called Upstart are um, really young social entrepreneurs doing extremely cool things here in Africa, and they're going to tell you about that tomorrow. But what I loved in speaking with them, they basically said, yeah, you know, you basically have to emancipate your mind to realize you can do anything. So if you see a social problem and you want to solve it, you have to see that you can solve it. And these are people in their 20, early 20s, and they've had these ideas as teenagers, and they've gone on to make them happen. And I think it's a brilliant example of how it's so easy to get that the wrong way around. Oh, well, wouldn't it be great if someone would fix that social problem? Too bad I'm just a teenager, or too bad I live in Africa, or too bad I don't have tons of money to spend, or too bad I didn't have that degree, or too bad I didn't. You can see how there's so many times there's this seesaw in life where sometimes we see we're the creator, but sometimes we think we're passively at the effect of the world. Well, that made this this way. That made me this way. That made those people that way. That's the one switch that we're looking to flip in the world, is helping everyone see no one is at the effect of the world. We are all individually creating the world. And we're going to talk about how the mind makes that magnificent thing possible. I mean, that's a pretty incredible, uh, I, I call it the special effects department. That's a pretty incredible special effects department that can go around creating a world for you moment to moment from inside your mind on out. But we're going to talk about how the mind works and discuss principles of how this is universally true for everyone, no matter where you go, no matter who you are, no matter what his background you had, no matter what circumstance you came from, no matter what religion or belief system you were brought up with. This is further upstream from all of that. It's how, to Stacy's point, universally do humans create the world from the mind on out. And what's amazing is that there are options if you see you're the source of it. There aren't many if you think you're the effect of it. So, for example, and I'm going to give this, this is really silly, but because this is how powerful the mind is. If I'm standing up here and I start thinking, Adik's getting impatient with me because I've talked for too long and that's making me uncomfortable. He's making me feel uncomfortable. Look at the way he's standing there. Do you see his posture? Do you see the way he's looking at me? It's making me feel bad. Stop it. <laughs> if I feel that way in this moment and I feel like he's doing that to me, he's causing that feeling in me, I don't have much choice but to hope he stops doing it soon. Okay. <laughs> Whereas, if I have an understanding that I can only experience a feeling from my own mind, and then I can behave based on that feeling or not, then I have a huge range of option. I can think it, not think it, I can keep fueling it, and the truth is I can keep fueling it, fueling it, feel worse and worse and worse and get really annoyed to the point where I'm just like, fine, you talk. <laughs> but if you really see, oh, it starts with me, it starts with my mind, and like Gina's students said, you've got to emancipate your mind and realize, I am a free thinker. I know that sounds silly, and it sounds a little personal development-y, but actually, truly, what we want to show is that that 
realization that we are creating the world from our minds and that we are free thinkers would solve all the world's problems. And we're going to try to gently but boldly build that bridge between that realization that we are not at the effect of the world, we are the creators of the world, and how that solves global issues can look actually really simple and understandable over these two days. Okay, you can go now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, like, I like that example you did now, because we were talking yesterday about, uh, or this week we talked about jealousy, for example, and I t some of the ladies I hear, I, I, I told them that I was jealous one, one time with Mara, and, um, and I said, when you're jealous, you see things that don't exist. Can you all relate to that? When you're jealous, you see things that don't exist. And that will be an example of that. Like, she sees things that don't exist. And if you see, have you ever walked down the street and you have this feeling that, oh, that person's, that's person's, that, that person is sketchy? Or that, uh, this seems like a safe thing. That seems like it's, it, it seems like intuition. It seems like, hmm, well, there's something here. But if you, if you don't question it, you realize how many times are I, am I feeling things that don't exist. And it's the same with jealousy. If you ever, ha who's been jealous here? Be honest, more hands, more hands, more hands. <laughs> yeah, so you, you literally create and see things that don't exist. They, they're not there, they only exist here. And if you look at how made up things are in the world now, think about countries. We made up lines on a, on a piece of paper. It's totally, it doesn't exist. The lines don't exist. It's made up in our minds. They're not there. But since we agree on them and we measure them, we think it's real. But it's not. And if we don't question it, we'll go around and well, you don't understand. This is a different country. You don't understand. This well, we made up all of that. That is something we all agreed upon. So if, if, I, if you agree on me, it's more true. And if we're three, it's more true. Then we're a country who believes it. Then it must be true. But it's still the mind creating something that wouldn't exist if the mind didn't create it. And the same with all, like, all the, race, the, the, the race, the different uh, genders. It's all us seeing something that's different. It doesn't exist until the mind creates that difference. I don't know if Muhammad is here, but we met Muhammad. Our, uh, he took us on a tour a couple days ago. Are you here? Are you here? No, okay. Um, but he's South African, and he was saying, um, yeah, racism begins and ends at home. You're either taught to be racist or not. He was very, very matter-of-fact about it that he felt very fortunate that he grew up in a household that racism wasn't a thing. There wasn't a focus on it. They didn't talk about it. It wasn't a, a big, relevant, huge issue. And so he wasn't raised to think in a separateness kind of way. And he was just very matter-of-fact about this as a colored person growing up in South Africa. And he was explaining to us, I know people get really upset about it, but that's not how I was raised to think. And it's not that that's right or wrong. That's not the point. It's just he said that's not how I was raised to think. Mm. And it's really incredible when you think about, to Adik's point, how many things we've made up 
and then collectively group made up and then agreed upon and turned into issues that we now have to deal with. But they seem, once they've been around for a while, it seems like they've always been there and we have nothing to do with them. But as Muhammad pointed out, we have to sustain them. We as humans have to keep continue thinking. to believe in them, have to continue to keep thinking them in order to keep them alive because they don't have an existence without human thought. There's nothing real in those issues until humans breathe life into them and have an agreement on them and, and start creating the world and global issues that we see now. So we thought it would be um, helpful to just graphically demonstrate a few of these um, issues and how it looks different when you see the mind as the source instead of the issue as the source, if that makes sense. Should we uh, do conflict? Let's handle conflict, yes. <laughs> All right, let's try conflict here. All right. So we like this example just, just to kind of show you why we can say that conflict, all conflict, uh, comes from the mind. And we want to kind of show you that as an example. And we want to scale it from the personal to the global. So this conference is talking about everything from the personal to the organizational to the global. So absolutely everything. So two people, uh, if you and me stand, we're on a conflict. You said, lion's head is the best mountain hair. Is, it? What's the, is that the best? It's the best. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, uh, no, tab table mountain is the best mountain. It's a silly example, but bear with me. That, and we would be in conflict. We wouldn't be able to get out of conflict unless one of us didn't care about each other's opinions. Until that, you and me could go down a dark path, buddy. I'm just kidding. We won't. <laughs> but, but it would be the same. So if you look at conflict, it's a bad feeling that you attribute to a circumstance and then you then act on. So not only do you feel the feeling, but you have actions. So you and my, me uh, might treat each other differently. You might get into a fight. But unless we see that we made up that, uh, that silly little preference that th between those two mountains here, unless we see we made that up, we would be in conflict, and there would be side effects of that. With me so far? Silly example, but with me? Yes? OK, cool. So that's a person. And if you look in an organization, it would be the same. It would be a group of people who said, this is wrong. And because this is wrong, we have to act like this. Then you would have another group of people who say, this is wrong. And because this is wrong, we have to act like this. And you will never have a joining of those two <coughs> unless something shifts in their mind. They would be opposite forces, believing in their thinking, until somebody says, okay, let's just, let's, just, let's just agree on something. Until they're joined, it, it, it can't happen. So if it, if it stays in their minds, it stays in the world. If it stays in the mind, it stays in their actions. So I would treat any person that I'm in conflict with differently because I think something. Okay? Two countries, it's the same thing. We think you should be doing this. And they say, 
no, we think we should be doing this. And because we're attached to that thinking, the two countries won't ever match. Religions, the same. Whatever you put in any category, you see people attaching to what they think is real and better and or better and then acting on it. Mm -hmm. And what they do is they discuss their differences instead of stepping back or upstream and saying, wait a minute, we're human. All humans create what they think is right from within them. We must be doing that right now. And none of us are right or wrong. But since we don't see that the source is always the mind, we don't do that. And that's what sustains conflict. And can I just add to the diagram? Yeah, of course, yeah. So without getting <laughs> not much up there. Yeah. It's very it's gonna be can it's gonna I, be hard for me to find can an I entry do the point. actual diagram. <laughs> I thought this could use some uh thickening. But with um We do. I I won't get into all the details because you can see how this is there's so many different particulars and specifics and flavors you could add to conflict and what it looks like and it's millions of different forms in the world, right? But basically what Adik's pointing to is that there's basically bad feeling toward another person or another group. And I spent the last 10 years working in organizations, primarily with leadership teams. This is exactly the same thing when people in a business don't get along. We were talking to one of our colleagues last night about how until he, understood that, until he learned this way of understanding the mind that he basically uh, was not very well liked at his work because he always thought he had the best ideas and those were the only ideas that should be acted on and shockingly the people who worked with him didn't find him that fun to work with so he created a fair amount of conflict in his work but it, it's very human it's very typical but what you can see is that basically Adik is simplifying it and saying look there's some sort of bad feeling either a, I disagree with you or I'm more right than you right and I'm just generally labeling that bad feeling. Now what we're saying is that comes from the mind and can only be changed in the mind. Whereas it's very tempting and easy to fall for the trick of kind of the way the world looks and think, no, that conflict is causing my bad feeling. We're saying, no, all you gotta do is switch the direction of the arrows and you'll see that the mind creates bad feeling and then that creates conflict. And you'll notice that until someone changes their mind, you get stuck at this level of the equation. So to Adik's point, even if you get rid of one symptom, if you don't get rid of the bad feeling, another one pops up. So you might have been able to, sorry, I'm pointing at you. you just point me <laughs> <laughs> I've John. exposed him. Just He's reformed God. now, but. <laughs> He's nice now. But he thinks. <laughs> you can make fun of me later in front of the group of people. It's fine. Yeah. No, but you can see how if people don't make a correction here, they keep creating the same symptoms in their life over and over again. This is very, you, you can see this in many examples. I personally love the example of worry. Does anyone here know someone, either themselves or someone that they're close to, who's a chronic worrier? Okay. Now, have you ever tried to help 
whatever that person is worrying about. Have you ever tried to help get rid of it for them? Oh, you're worried about your kids. Well, let me sit down and talk to you. You don't have to worry about them. You're doing, oh, you're worried about the amount of things you have to do. Well, let's sit down and I'll talk to you about how to organize your to-do list and make sure you can get all those things. Have you ever tried to sit down and remove the symptom for them? Does it work? Why doesn't it work? Because this didn't change. They just find something else to worry about. They're like worry-making machines. Have you noticed, like, oh, you took care of that, but now you're worrying about that? It's like, <laughs> I don't know if you've ever seen that game, Whack-A-Mole. Or just like, whack, whack, and you're trying to, the moles pop up, and you're trying to hammer them down, and the second you hammer one down, another one comes up. That's what happens when people don't realize that the mind is the creator of everything, not the effect of everything. So you cannot fix worry at the symptom level. And another one that I'll give just to show kind of from the personal to the global is, um, and Adik brought it up earlier, and I think it's really interesting because there's just been a lot of discussion around this in, in various different fields recently, at least in the United States, around addiction, okay? If you look at addiction and think of all of the different social problems that arise out of addiction, and, and, and Joe is gonna speak to this more this afternoon, so I don't wanna get into the details, but you can see how it's tied to mental health issues, it's tied to violence, so getting drugs, the entire uh, drug industry, it's tied to poverty and keeping people in poverty, are you with me so far? So you can see that there are a lot of global issues that stem from addiction. That's far. I'll, I'll get a new so one. Far. Every person that I've worked with who struggled with an addiction is ultimately searching to feel better, right? So. I learned very early on when I worked with people with addiction issues is, wow, I kind of do the same thing in my life. Like, I want to feel better. And how many times do you do something or take something or engage in an activity looking for a good feeling? Right? Like, have a glass of wine or go to the gym and work out or lay in a bath or go to a yoga class or watch a funny movie or go out with your friends and have way too many drinks. You know, there's so many things that people do naturally in life looking for a good feeling. But if people don't understand where feeling comes from in the mind, they will constantly be searching for things to do, to take, to participate in, to help them feel better. So all of these social issues, and it's very tempting again to say, well, these are things that lead to this. And what we've found is that, no, actually, it's the opposite. It's that this leads to this leads to this. And it's a whole different starting point in terms of dealing with that issue and all of the issues that ripple out from it. Yeah, and um, even if like people say, oh, yeah, it's totally interesting that you should, it, it, 
it should be good feeling, or a recent study said it's lack of connection. So if people feel connection, <coughs> feel connection, then they, uh, the addiction uh, would be less of. But even a thing like connection, they would then go, okay, if it's connection or good feeling, we got to put them in the right environment, we got to help them uh, be more social, we got to do external things so they will feel good and feel connected. Does that make sense? So we're still saying, we're agreeing on one part, but we're saying we're having different directions. So they're saying, even if we agree on like, yes, of course, if we all felt better, we would act better. We can all agree on that. But we still say these things are the ones that's causing the feeling. And because, because it's outside of us, the solutions are also outside of us. So fix the environment move to a different city, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But the thing is, our minds follow us. <laughs> so Have you ever heard the phrase, no matter where you go, there you are? Exactly. So if it's not addressed at the source, and we see that it, it only works in that direction, we would always be like circling here. And even if we fix something, it will pop up somewhere else. So this whole conference is focusing on this process, this creating everything you can imagine here. And we're going we're gonna to give you a ton of examples, but we're only focusing on this part, where other conferences, and there are so many people who are so much better than us to talk about all of this. And there's probably people in the room now who say, you know, there, there are parts to this that's, that are missing, we know. <laughs> We know there's part of this that are missing, but we're only interested in this because that is what creates all of that. So this whole discussion is how does the mind create everything we see, the good, the bad, the ugly, and the beautiful, and the amazing, and not discussing, okay, once that's done, how do we fix it? So, so it's, a, it's a different direction. And I just wanted to share... Um, how are we doing for time? We're doing good. We have 15 minutes left. Perfect. But I just wanted to share two personal examples because I find that personal examples really bring something somewhat abstract to life. When I first, um, I read a book by Sidney Banks called The Enlightened Gardener when I was 19 years old. And this was the first introduction I'd had to the whole idea that there are basic operating principles in the mind that are responsible for why we experience what we experience and why we see in the world what we see in the world. And I remember that first moment reading that book and it was literally like somebody flicked a light switch on for me and I thought, oh my gosh, this makes life make sense. This makes the parts that are hard in life make sense. This makes the part that are beautiful make sense. And I thought, why has no one ever told me this before? This clears up so many things, and it makes life look so simple. I think everybody needs to know this. Everybody should know this. And really, for me, what it cleared up in that moment, and this is just my Mara version of this, okay? You'll have your own version over these couple days. But I had innocently completely innocently, gotten the idea in life that other people caused my feelings. So 
In particular, if my dad was in a good mood or a bad mood, I could feel good or feel bad. And I learned that from watching my mom, and I learned that from watching other people, whatever. I just picked it up. I picked up this idea that how other people treated me and the moods that other people were in determined how I could or could not feel in any moment. So I could feel good if people were being nice to me. I, fe I could feel good if the people around me were in good moods and they, they weren't agitated and they weren't yelling at me. Then I could feel good. But if they weren't in a good mood or they were particularly being mean toward me, well, then I couldn't feel good in life. Now, interestingly, what Adik said is just about jealousy is the same thing. If you're phobic of other people's moods, you see things that aren't there. You see bad moods everywhere. You see a bad mood through a telephone number popping up on your phone. <laughs> it was amazing. I was like, this is not looking good. I don't think I want to pick up. <laughs> like, what? But unbeknownst to me, I had created a world for myself where I was a victim to everyone else around me. My well-being was very conditional. And therefore, I had the experience as a child up until I read that book at 19 years old of having the feeling of walking around on eggshells a good majority of the time. And again, because that was real for me, and because I innocently misunderstood that that was externally imposed upon me, I had a lot of coping to do. I had a lot of working around things to do. So people who were not nice sometimes and people who were in bad moods, I had roots and strategies for how to avoid them and how to get around them. And that took mental energy for me. It took physical energy for me. I literally had to, I mean, I could plan my day around not crossing paths with somebody who might make me feel bad. You know, you don't go to a certain lunch or you don't, you know, you don't, you just don't live your life freely because something in the world out there doesn't allow you to, or so I thought. And the amount of time and energy that I spent on that, and the amount of suffering that I endured because of that was huge. So when it was suggested to me very simply, oh, things out there can't make you feel. It's your mind makes you feel. Your thinking makes your feelings, and you're actually a free thinker. My world changed, like, overnight. I suddenly was able to be around people who were nice or mean or good mood, bad mood, and I could still have my well-being. I had the freedom of mind to go where I wanted to go in life and not suffer. And I had a huge updraft in self-esteem come out of that. I realized I had been so frightened and... And when you're avoiding things, you get smaller. You shrink yourself so that you don't have to come in contact with them. And I felt like I, felt like I got to kind of come out of my shell and just be and be me and not have to avoid and shrink and cope. So that personal shift for me was enough, you know, like I'm like you. Like I'm sold. I've signed up. I'm in. Where do I sign? Like this, this is awesome, I want to learn more about this, and I want to share this with as many people as possible. And then the other story I'm going to share, because it was very early on in my career, I thought, isn't that wonderful that I, Mara Gleason, got to have this realization that made my life a lot nicer? That's lovely. But unbeknownst to me, I assumed there were certain circumstances or certain kind of 
people in life that wouldn't necessarily be able to have that same realization because it just wasn't on offer for them. Like the, the, whatever they had to deal with in life was too much. It was too extreme, so this wouldn't necessarily apply to them. But as I started doing this work and sharing this understanding with people, I got invited by one of my colleagues to go into a maximum security prison in California State. And she's teaching these, these prison inmates the same principles that we're going to be talking about here with you, the same principles that I'd read in that book that had freed me. And I remember I had a lot of thinking about going into a maximum security all-male prison. I was super nervous, and I thought, you know, what, it, what am I going to have to say? What are they going to think about me? Just, oh, I'm just some girl showing up. I can't help them, blah, blah, blah. I had all this thinking. But when I sat down with them, Kathy, my colleague, who was actually supposed to be here, but she had other, other uh, she's in high demand, Kathy. <laughs> um, she said to the inmates, she said, why don't you guys just share a little bit with Mara about what you've been learning about your minds and, and how that's been changing you. And I sat back and for the next hour and a half, I listened to these guys tell me things like, I've never felt freer in my life than I do right now. And someone else said, um, I actually feel good about myself, which I didn't know was possible because I was raised in foster care, going from foster home to foster home. I never really had a real set of parents. I never had anyone to encourage me or love me or tell me I was good. And, and I always thought that was the reason I felt bad about myself. He said, but I realized that that was only because I believed it in here and I have new thinking now and I actually really like myself. And what was really cool about that guy is he said, and then when I realized I liked myself, I realized there were all these things that people who like themselves can do. He said, like, I started going to the library and teaching myself different subjects. He says, so I've been spending all this time, all my free time here in the library, and I've been teaching myself engineering, and I've been teaching myself physics. He's like, science is really cool, it turns out. And he goes, and I'm actually smart. It's like, I never knew this about myself. He said, so I'm really enjoying learning and, and, and getting really smart about these different topics. And he said, and I'm going to write a book. And I said, what are you going to write a book about? And of course, in my head, I'm thinking it's his crazy life story of you know, being in gangs, living life on the streets. And he says, no, it's, um, it's going to be a book about acceptance. He says, I'm going to call it, You Have Very Lovely Feet. And I said, why? why you have very lovely feet? He's like, oh, because I dated this girl a while back, and she had this obsession with I got ugly feet. And I thought, that's so weird. You have lovely feet. But it's crazy what people can tell themselves and believe. Am I right? <laughs> and what was so amazing after just listening to these guys tell me, and one, one, one of the other things they said to me, if I knew what I know now about the mind, I wouldn't have gotten myself in here. And I left just buzzing. I thought, okay, I thought this could help me with my silly little circumstance, but I'm realizing this understanding of the mind can help anyone no matter what they've been through in life, no matter what the circumstance. And as we were walking to the car in the parking lot at the end, I asked Kathy, I said, that guy who's writing the book, uh, call me when he gets out. I said, I want to hire him. I want to give him a job. He is so compelling. He's so clear. He, just, he would be amazing at sharing this with other people. And she said, oh, he's not. he's not. He's never getting out. 
he's, he's actually on death row. It's like, really? So that's when I realized that there was no limit. There was my little realization of it, but then I realized anyone anywhere in the world could have a realization of the freedom of mind that they have within them, no matter what their circumstance is. And that's when I realized, yeah, I think I want to share this with as many people in the world as possible. The podcast you just heard was recorded with Anchor. If you want to make your own, download the Android or iOS app completely free from anchor.fm slash podcast. That's anchor.fm slash podcast.